0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Tales from Tolt. My name is Dwayne Davidson, your host. This is a program where we discuss the fascinating and rich history of that place we call the Sonoma Valley, basically from Monroe to North Bend. Today, we're featuring uh, Duval. Historical Society, which is an important town in the history of this valley and an important town to me because I have a lot of uh, long, deep roots here. So, this is going to be an interesting program uh, for me as we uh, uh, dive in and start learning a little bit more about Duval's history. Uh, Joining me today is Denny Redman and Tom. Matheson, Matheson. and uh, welcome, gentlemen, thank you for joining me today and it's going to be good to talk to you guys a little bit more about uh, the history of uh, Duval and the good work that the Duval Historical Society is doing to preserve that legacy. And so let's just dive right into it. Can you guys start telling me a little bit about Duval Historical Society? How long has it been around? How big is it? What, what, What do you guys do?
1: Well, If you want to start with me, uh, Danny Radman, Uh, I came out here with uh, Larry Vanover and Gary Eagle, who Larry Vanover is famous for the piano drop here for the Mm -hmm. Sky River Rock Festivals and that sort of thing, but that happened before I got here, but Gary and Larry had a, a business called Chicken Graphics in Seattle and they needed a writer so they got me involved with them and the three of us uh they both lived here so they got me to move out here so we could have a business here down at ralph clarkson's real estate which is no longer here but the building's still there down there at the bottom of the hill below this dirty house here on the highway but <clears throat> I came out here on a freight train from Minnesota and uh, I spent my life working on a railroad, you know, my childhood and stuff, because my dad was a bridge builder, and that's how I got here. Mm. And the first person I met was Tom Matheson. Just I went to Gary's house and met you that night. And, oh. And you were up there and you just finished that film and you were working on it still. Yeah.
2: I had just moved in. and bought uh, lots of land, and and Gary Eagle, who was a marvelous uh, artist and graphic person, had built this wonderful little house. Uh, and but they were they wanted to go east of the mountains and buy some land up in Shesaw. so they let me house sit for them. And uh, they had a horse. They had two dogs they had a cat they had a gerbil and some chickens and while they were gone they, and it was handy because they were right up where my land that i just bought so it, i was staying there for a whole week or two taking care of these animals when they got back both chickens had frozen they were hanging upside down in one of the trees frozen solid because it got cold the horse had disappeared the gerbil, the cat had ripped off one of the legs of the gerbil, but it wasn't quite, it was sort of hanging by a little thread and the gerbil was hopping around in his cage. And the cat tried to catch it again. And I hit the cat and broke the cat's front leg. And uh, when they got back, they blamed all this on me. So that's the kind of thing this is you know it it was very interesting little area because we came in we aren't the real ancients of of the area and the historical society which is getting back to your point is was uh i don't know when they founded the historical society but i think it was um last 30 years or so
1: i think yeah i think Mm -hmm. it was about late 60s or early 70s when they started Bear
2: oh Vera! Oh, that's right. Vera was an amazing character. Yeah. She was. She was a, a. And you know, the reason that the people like Denny and myself, who were, were referred to as the hippies, we weren't hippies. I mean, I've given a talk on that before. The people. Be it. it pissed me off one one uh, a couple of years ago when they had a the centennial fair. And, and they had these uh, actors coming out for the various periods of Duval, and they had the guy in the old eighteen nineties hat, and mm-hmm. they had. And for the hippies, they had these two people stumbling along, smoking weed with headbands and bang, knocking, you know, not knowing where they are. That was Those weren't the hippies that, yeah, the, the so-called hippies that really changed Duval and made an impact on Duval. Mm-hmm. The original Duval people called us hippies because we didn't have crew cuts and stuff. We had long hair, and uh, maybe long hair. But all of the real key people like Larry Vanover, like Denny, like, uh, you know, Gene Gilleski,
0: we were well
2: educated people and we were in businesses, the silver spoon. I mean, mm-hmm. that made Duval a dying, which was a dying town mm-hmm. into a, a place where people from Seattle came. Right and left their money here. right and in a beautiful way mm-hmm. and they were they might have looked like hippies but anybody who's ever owned a restaurant knows that you you can't just be a hippie lying on the couch smoking weed <laughs> you got to get up at five in the morning and make bake bake rolls and stuff these were wonderful people who were hardworking people and they had a sense of humor Vanover put that sense of humor in you put the sense of humor in and but we you know we ended up like chicken graphics you, they had the biggest bank account in the bank this was a very interesting thing because there were people here who never really were nice to us because that's just they were you know mm-hmm. they just this was something new and different but there were others who were really interesting like Vera heavens and Gil Hackenbrook right. who had mm-hmm. done, done a, a newspaper called the carnival mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And years ago, and he was a real character and he became friends with one of the people that I bought my land with. And so those people were very engaging and helped us, you know, and, and brought us together. And that really had an effect on the town because. The town, both sides learn from one another.
0: Well, I think it's I think it's really interesting that you have uh, told us it because it's really reflective of the fact that has actually gone through a couple transformations. Even at the very beginning, yes. it was it was called Terry Valley or yes. within the period of time. It started down by the riverbanks, and the railroad moved it, and it went through a time period where different industries were the prominent industries, and Daring was king at one time, and now we're seeing it. And it makes some of us have been around for a while to look at the city a little bit uncomfortable to see the transformation is once again going through becoming just as big residential you know powerhouse but change is always inevitable isn't it? And, it and you're going to go through different changes and this area that you described is one that really and it did it did save duval because duval was dying at
2: the Duval time. was on its way out the dairy industry was beginning to Uh, kind of go its own way, the lumber industry was marginalized, and and it was drying up. And um, there just wasn't much else left. Like many places, uh, Greenwich Village or anything else, when the rents are low, you get creative, interesting people, because nobody gives them a lot of money to begin with. And so there were a lot of us who like the smell of flowers wanted to live out in the country. That's why we were, we were here we were here to make right wing loggers angry. We were here to, to, to celebrate the town and and we enjoyed them and some of them began to enjoy us you know.
1: Uh, I was just going to say one story I don't know when Gary and Larry they both lived up Cherry Valley here and Larry had a big barn that he was building. It was he did a poor job of building it. But anyway, thank God somebody came along and bought it and fixed it. But anyway, it was still quite a place. And you know, there were the piano drop was there and lots of events. They found a place where I could rent. Abby Jacobs, her name was, was the landlady. She lived at Lake Joy and she was as sweet as could be and welcomed me and everything. And so I moved into this little place. But I really wasn't schooled in living in the country after I'd been living in Afghanistan and living in different parts of the world, Greece and so on. But you know, you you figure it out. And there there was an old guy that lived up here, Wayne Scott, his name was Uh, was the cars he had a collection of. And he sold me a 49 Hudson. And it was the neatest, fattest car. I love fat cars four in the front seat, easy, you know, lots of room. And, but it wasn't exactly reliable uh, as far as an engine and so on. Although Gary Eagle painted the the engine all dark blue with lightning bolts coming away from the plugs and everything, but like really neat to look at you know, the whole thing. But it broke down, and one day I was hitchhiking into town in the winter time from up where uh, Kelly Road goes Mountain View, diverts from Kelly Road up there. I had my thumb out. And this lady came by in an old station wagon and had a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. And uh, she stopped and she picked me up and she said, I'm going into town. I said, great. And and so she was taking me into uh, Duval. But on the way in, she said, well, you know, I'm an Avon lady and I've got to make a delivery. So (laughs) she, she pulled over. And I mean, the truck, I mean, the back of the car was a stationary and it was full of uh, dirty clothes and you know, stuff that was, was She was going to the laundry. But uh, anyway, she had to make a delivery. And there was a Quonset that used to be out here. And that's where she was going to this Quonset hut, which now is a shop for somebody that lives over on Burn Road, which nobody knows where that is. But anyway, so she's just got out and it was in the middle of the winter and she parked almost right out in the road and I'm on the passenger side and she parked on the left hand side of the road, and so she left me right out in the road and so. Uh, uh, I'm waiting for her to come and it's cold in winter time and here comes a logging truck around the corner and there's no room you know really I don't know how you know and but I can hear him. I couldn't. I mean, he wasn't. I could. I could see his words. I didn't hear him. But <laughs> one of them started with an F. That's when I was inaugurated into who I was. <laughs> That's when and he found, found out. out. <laughs> so anyway, he managed to jetpack that thing and somehow get by me without hitting me. Yeah. And you know, he was screaming at me the whole way because it was my fault. You know. And after he was gone and the sweat was starting to dry on me, uh, she comes out of the closet hut and. Okay,
0: let's go. <laughs> there we go with the and I'm shattered, of course, but <laughs> oh, that was kind of mad. oh, that's a delight. <laughs> that's a <laughs> story. Uh, and, 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 and after the program, I'll even tell you that you even mentioned the uh, uh, wainscots are actually unrelated to that family too. Oh, so, so yeah, so that was it interesting. Was guy, yeah, Hansel. Well, we're going to take a break for just a second, but after the break, I want to talk just briefly about things that people can do that come to Duval and now that we're talking about about the history and there's a little museum that people ought to check out and so we'll talk about that right after the break you're listening to valley 104.9 fm your station for valley talk and info join us for our weekly paranormal radio show northwest phenomenon each sundays at
2: 7 p.m have a story you'd like to share call our northwest phenom hotline 24 7 or you can email me on my website onairmario.com all calls and emails are confidential listen on demand, subscribe to our podcast iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play search Northwest Phenomenon we'll see you Sunday at 7pm right here on Valley 104.9
0: I'm Chris Heim, inviting you to join me in the Global Village for the best in music from all around the globe. We highlight new releases, rare and classic recordings, birthdays, holidays, and a host of features, specials, and unique concert performances, all drawing on styles and influences from many different corners of the world. Great sounds from all around the globe in the Global Village, Thursday nights from 7 till 9, here on Valley 104.9 FM, your station for Northwest Eclectic Music. Welcome back. Hey, there's a little exhibit here that people should check out in Duval when they're here that is kind of a unique uh, exhibit, I understand. So do you, do you want to tell uh, me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, for 30, over 30 years now,
2: I have curated something called the Little Postal Museum, which is uh, the other museum in town besides the <laughs> Doherty House. And um, it's, Three feet by three feet, and it's we can we think it's the smallest museum in the state of Washington, and it is devoted to postal matters, uh, letters, and how they're transmitted. And uh, during the um, uh, centennial, we collaborated with the historical society here, and we had the actual ledger book of the first postmaster, who when he got his fourth class post office, they he had to give it a name, and he, he. was in a, a a little log cabin up up the road up by the north of, way north of town and he looked out the window and the cherry trees were blooming so he said we'll call it cherry valley and yeah. that's how cherry valley was named I yeah and uh we had his actual uh ledger book showing what letters were how much postage he bought and how many letters went and that was right at the year of the uh where what uh, year of washington state in 1890s but uh we've uh, man uh, because of my situation with postal history in the philatelic world i know people all over the world and they have loaned us material for our exhibits over the years and we've had uh everything from holocaust letters to uh, letters of venice from the 1400s a lot of material that's at the level of the smithsonian and that's right here in duval and it's tucked away inside the post office where you go uh, where the counters are, where you buy stamps, and it's just right inside the uh, the uh, door there to the left, and it's on the wall. And um, we've had a, an exhibit in there for a long time now because of the pandemic, and uh, I'm hoping to put in a new exhibit. But, oh, great. Uh, it's it's a neat little thing, and there are little things like that around the wall that uh, are, you know, are kind of neat to
0: but only if you know about them. And while we're talking about things to see, I guess I should make mention about the fact we haven't talked about this yet. That we're not in the studio today; we're actually taping at the location of the museum. And so in the kitchen, in, in the kitchen, so <laughs> uh, uh, it's an appropriate place to be. So uh, I, either one of you want to tell me a little bit about this house that people can come and experience.
1: Well, I didn't. I never knew the Doherty's.
0: Really, the last one that was still
1: here was the guy that used to watch for the steamboats and go down and open the.
2: The bridge. Mm-hmm. He was way into his uh, 90s and uh, he, uh, uh, I would see him driving, you know, he drove a nice, an old pale green uh, international truck, I think. Oh, wow. And, uh, he, and he was, he was well into his 90s, I believe, And and he would come driving into town and go get his mail or do stuff and then come back here and his wife had died and I think he closed off the parlor. After she died and, and didn't, you know, nobody ever went into it and stuff. But he gave this uh, house and the land that they, to uh, he gave enough land to the Jesuits so that they could build the church. He gave the historical society the house, and then they had it made into a historical place monument or protection, historical protections. Then eventually uh, opened this as a museum.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a wonderful thing. And to be able to have something like this. Oh, absolutely, because it's a very period house for those that may not have been there, been here before. I really encourage you to come and see not only the little Postal Museum, but uh, to see this building too, because it's been wonderfully preserved. You really get the sense. I'm looking at a, an old-fashioned telephone on the wall and an actual wood-burning uh, cook stove uh, here in the kitchen, which is, there's just a lot of good period pieces here, and it's been beautifully, beautifully restored. And it gives you really a sense of what Duval possibly looked like. And, and it was explained that he was basically uh, the watchdog for turning the bridge to allow for the um, steamboats at, w- at one time, which is hard for me to imagine, but you see pictures of them, so you know they existed. The steamboats actually graced the waters of uh, when, the well, to- when they the- went all the way up to Fall City. Isn't that amazing? And yeah. they, of course, the water had to be right and stuff for that to happen. Yes. But there's actual pictures of them. Uh, a moored right at uh, a false city, which is if anybody knows anything about the Sequoia Valley, you can't go much further than that because there's this little thing called Falls that's right above that. That uh, can apprehend a navigation beyond that point, but uh, yeah, they go. Uh, it, it, those boats were you know limited
2: by the depth of the water, and every once in a while in the summer it would get too low. But the river has always been this neat thing. Vera Havens, as a young girl, during uh, I believe the the. Second World War, she uh, was actually did volunteer duty to watch for submarines coming up the river. river <laughs> submarines. <laughs> <laughs> My mom was everybody, <laughs> I know. everybody had to do their own thing, but she she loved it because she got to go down and sit by the river and watch for submarines all
0: day. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> a pretty small right now. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's it. and then and then we mentioned a uh, topic of conversations today, trains. then uh, oh. you said you came out on a freight train right. and at one time, it, it, it just as we talked about Duval we going through changes, it went through the changes of, of changes As a matter of fact, it takes a store to have to be moved. Uh, uh, and uh, most of the original town moved up the hill somewhat. And we had competing railroads for a short time of both the Great Northern and the Milwaukee Road. Is that what you came out yeah. of the Milwaukee Road?
1: Uh, well, my grandfather was an engineer on the Milwaukee, but I was in Montana, but not an engineer driving the train, but
2: one. Who- mm-hmm. Yeah, laid bridges. out the tracks.
0: Interesting. Well,
2: and then, the, they were still uh, the tracks were over on the other side of the river, and they were running uh, things on it in the seventies mm-hmm. you know, to yep. maintain their license for it, I guess. But it wasn't really uh, at that point very useful, and you know, for what they
0: were do, doing, mostly things were tra- were transported by truck by right. and, Well, logging, I think, was their mainstay, and and it yeah. was ba- and where they were connected to both. Everett and Snoqualmie. And when the logging kind of died out, I think that the railroad and the track was, uh, I've always been kind of a railroad buff, but I do know that the Milwaukee road was poorly maintained. They were having derailments all the time on this uh, little branch line. Matter of fact, I remember one big famous derailment that happened right down here, right at the depot. And there's a picture. Uh, 12 years old looking into the cab of the the locomotive down here at the site with the station the, the depot right there where my grandpa took a picture of me and that that engine plowed into the ground deep that that was like in the early 70s right before right before abandonment so
2: Tom took a picture of a derailment over the parking park that was a really incredible one in the 60s where the the night train from Spokane was coming along right after heavy rain and the whole hillside took out but that wasn't Uh, too You know speaking of railroads one of the interesting things is the land that we bought way up uh, towards Lake Margaret had a very long straight uh, road private or not private road but a, a road that went in that was just dirt and that had been the railroad bed for the loggers, and um, I would I found enough parts to make a locomotive. <laughs> there were there were uh, you know uh, fish plates and and bits of track and uh, nuts and bolts that, that could only go on a Shay steam engine. You know. Yeah. and uh, it was it was exciting to think about that and how they lo- how they got those logs out of there. And, the second growth uh, when I moved in there was already some of them were hitting 150 feet and now they're 180 and a beautiful timber up there but the remnants are still there these where they were you know cutting these trees down uh, in uh, 100 years ago or so and bringing them out through Duval or or carnation areas you know
0: and they were they were using these <clears throat> wonderful little steam engines say mm-hmm. locomotives mm-hmm. and and steam donkeys to yard them up to the places. Yeah, it was a, and then the and then this valley, including this town, went through a major transformation again into the uh, prominence of the dairying. And there were so many operating dairy farms at one time between uh, Monroe and Fall City it was incredible. And some very beautifully kept up uh, farms by uh, prominently by the Dutch, who seemed to have kind of a knack for that. And uh, although there were uh, others. Yes, in fact, prior
2: to the Second World War, there were some Japanese dairy owners and their mm-hmm. operators that um, sadly, you know, sort of that sort of changed. After yeah. And they were moved, I believe, if they were still here in 41. In but, you know, the, the changes, like you were saying earlier, the changes happen continuously. Um, and I, I always think that. You know, feel like I was somebody who came later, you know, than the real history. But if I start looking at it, one, it makes me very depressed And I'm, <laughs> I've, I've only got a few more years if I'm lucky, you know. But the thing is, when I moved here and I got to the point where I actually lived on my land, uh, in order to go to a decent grocery store, we had to go to Bothell. There was not that, or Monroe those were the only safe ways where you could buy uh, whole wheat, actually seed bread and things Mm -hmm. like that. They didn't have that. In in, in Duval, they had some white bread and then something that they said was whole wheat bread, but it it was basically Mm -hmm. white bread that had, I guess, been burned or something. (laughs) It, it, It was just really dismal because we were all into kind of better foods and and that sort of thing, you couldn't get that stuff in Duval, mm-hmm. you had to go elsewhere to it. And once a week, my girlfriend and I would drive into Seattle to visit my parents, but that would be our grocery thing. We would stop in Bothell and do, do groceries. And I don't think people realized that in just that period of time, we gradually got more and more access to you know, they, they opened a store and in wood at Cottage lake and and there was a store here and there and pretty soon by you know uh, we, we got the the, mm-hmm. little gro- the grocery store here we, we had to deal with a little day and night gas station thing for a while mm-hmm. but the grocery store here and then now there's this big super duper
0: yep. store
2: down the south but th- those were things that made life I don't know it's sort of difficult and yet it was an attraction for many of us that we were living out in the country we just wanted to live in a beautiful place and have some nice people around and and i think that that was what it it was lucky that that,
1: i might add also that i I am so thankful that i got to live in duval or i I don't live in town but i did live in town at one time up at the back of duval at third and virginia and uh that's all gone now in its development, you know. But Bert Engstrom used to live up there on the top of the hill. Uh, I I had with him when this was all a hillside. I got and then the father of Duval, which is uh, Ralph Taylor. There's a Taylor's Landing and there's a Taylor Park and so mm-hmm. on in town. And I had a '49 uh, Chev pickup, deer low, and I was working for Gene Buse down in Stillwater and uh, remodeling gas stations. And this day, I was just going just down to Stillwater to work on a cat or something. I was coming down uh, Virginia. A dog came out on the road. You don't want me to tell that story? <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> go, go go right ahead. <laughs> well. well <clears throat> I stopped you know for it and 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 so I thought it had gone off but it was under the truck and when I left when I could go again I drove over up and just devastated me because nobody wants to lose their dog and everybody loves dogs so I put it under a tree and I and I came back at lunchtime to see if I could find the owner and I looked under the tree and it was gone so I had to go back to work. I couldn't find the owner, so I went back to work, and then I came back in the evening, and I found out it was Ralph Tanner's dog. Oh, and it was a blind dog, and it was very old. And Selma was crying in the house, and it just ruined. I was devastated, you know, that I had been the one that had done that. But at, at first, Ralph was, you know, like you've done about everything you can have done. He said or something like that to me, and and I felt terrible, you know, and so i said goodbye and sorrow and all that, but then he he started getting acquainted with me and we became really good friends. Well, that's good. And, and yeah, and uh, he gave me, I still have blueberry bushes that he gave me. That he gave me. And there's I'm still, you know, there's many years later. Yeah. Well, anyway, it was just. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, uh, uh, we're just about out of time, so I just wanted to basically say, you know, you really need to check out the uh, works of the Duval Historical Society because there are a very vibrant branch of people here that have done a great job in, in preserving uh, the history and the legacy throughout the ages of this uh, very interesting community. Uh, to do so, if you want to learn more, I'm not going to spell it all the way out, it's just basically DuvalHistoricalSociety.org. I'm sure if you google that you'll find it right away their website is duvalhistoricalsociety.org they've got lots of images on there so you really need to check it out because it's a great website uh, please go there if you want to email them it's Duval Historical Society at gmail.com please check them out and if you uh, uh have the time to help volunteer i'm sure that they would uh, love to have you as uh, new members and then as always you know these type of things uh uh, museums like this and the amount of money that they collect for uh, admission of these places come very far short of uh, being able to fund the organization and what they need to do. So as the next money guy and the next tax collector myself, I'm not bashful about asking for money, so I'll do it right now. They're a tax-exempt organization, and if you can afford to do so, please give them a few because uh, they'll greatly appreciate it and put it to good work. So uh, please check it out, Duval Historical Society. Tom and Denny, this has been a lot of fun. I like this conversation and some of the stories we've got. I think the people really, really enjoyed hearing about the human side of the community of Duval. And thank you for joining me today. And and next week, we'll be talking to the folks at the Railroad Museum up in in Snoqualmie. So until then, goodbye.